Hello, everyone, and happy Tuesday. Great show for you today. There's a lot to get into. Joe Burrow, he's eligible for his contract extension. A lot of people thinking 275 to 300 million. I react to his latest comments about his contract. I also get into Devontae Adams and what he said post Aaron Rodgers. Then Doc Rivers officially got fired, as I suspected and expected. Yesterday on my podcast, I thought he would be fired. And that came into fruition. And then uh, some news about James Harden as well with the firing of Doc Rivers. I react to him and possible couple 76ers trades. And then same for the Suns as well. And then I'll preview Lakers Nuggets tonight, Heat Celtics tomorrow, and get into the PGA Championship. There's a lot to get into, so let's get started. Joe Burrow contract extension. Again, he's eligible for his new contract. Uh, but I did like what he said today regarding that. Uh, he said, and I quote, whenever you have guys on the team that need to be paid, that's always on your mind. You want that to be a focal point. We're working to make that happen. End of quote. Uh, of course, I think he's referring to the two biggest people who will get paid. Uh, T. Higgins, who is also eligible for a contract this offseason. And then next season, it'll be Jamar Chase. I don't think Joe Burrow wants to lose either of his weapons, especially Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, says he hopes for a long run together. Uh, you know, Jamar Chase says that, you know, he knows what kind of quarterback Burrow is. He just wants uh, to win. He's a winning guy. Uh, he's not interested in money and all the other stuff. He just wants to win. And then Burrow went on to later say that you have to have good players around you. It doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. If you don't have good players around him, you're not going to be a very good team. End of quote. So I just love what Joe Burrow said, and I love even more what the players say about Joe Burrow. It likes me make him even more, and it shows that he's a player that wants to win championships. That's the one thing uh, on his mind is the Super Bowl. He said he's ready to do whatever it takes to win the Super Bowl. That's his focal point. Uh, he knows that the money will come along with it. But his goal is to win the Super Bowl. And it's for others on his team to get paid. And I think that's the right approach. I think that's the right mental attitude to have. That's why I like Joe Burrow. Uh, that's why I think he is such a great quarterback. He's a winning quarterback. And that's a quarterback. If I had to start a franchise, that would be my pick. I would want Joe Burrow over every other quarterback in the NFL. And he's really, he's the opposite of a Lamar Jackson and a Kyler Murray. Lamar and Kyler are all about themselves. They just want money. That was, I think, especially true in Lamar, considering, uh, I think, Joe Burrow and the Bengals' biggest rival within their division is Lamar Jackson. So you have Lamar holding out and, you know, wanting money and subtweeting the Ravens and, you know, nothing was about the other players or Mark Andrews or anybody else that was about him and wanting his money and getting what he wanted. And he wanted it, he got it, he threw a fit, got his money. And I still don't think the Ravens 
are any better today than they were a year ago when they finished runner-up to the Bengals. And same with Kyler. Kyler and his agent threw a fit about the study clause that was in his contract, wanted the you know money guaranteed so that there wouldn't be, I think, a 5% decrease or something in, week, in weekly pay. And he got his wish because Kyler is all about himself. He doesn't do what he takes to win. Uh, again, he's the opposite of a Joe Burrow. That's why I prefer guys like Joe Burrow over Lamar and Kyler Money. And, uh, that's actually good. It's Kyler Money and Kyler Murray because he cares about winning. He cares about the other players on the team because they know, you know, that he's not selfish. There's not a huge ego there that has to be fulfilled by having the title highest paid quarterback in the NFL and yada, yada, yada. It's about legacy. It's about championships. And, you know, just dropping my preseason prediction here, I guess early, early preseason prediction is I believe the Bengals and Jets are going to meet in the AFC Championship for the Super Bowl. I probably believe the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl uh, just because of how good that team is. Then, moving on to Devontae Adams. So, Devontae Adams today uh, said that this year he was, you know, super proud of what he accomplished. And uh, what did he accomplish? Well, he was first team All-Pro. And he said it meant a lot to him because he did it without Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. Now, a lot of people in the media have said, you know, in the few years there that Aaron Rodgers helped create Devontae Adams. And I believe that did have some part in the progression of Devontae Adams. But I believe Devontae Adams is a made man. And as he said, that proved who I am. If a quarterback doesn't make me, I make me. And he consistently does it at that level. And I agree. I Again, I believe he's the best wide receiver in football. Um, I believe last year proved it again as well, that he's the best wide receiver, where Justin Jefferson was in a very friendly um, organization or, you know, offensive scheme uh, to get a lot of passes open to him. Uh, You know, a lot of games where Kirk Cousins' only target was Devontae Adams. At least the quarterback play was consistent, Uh, and I believe Kirk Cousins last year was better than Derek Carr was last year. Derek Carr was inconsistent. He had to deal with the outside noise later in the season when Derek Carr was benched, and they went to the backups as well. And Devontae Adams still put up great numbers. He led the league in touchdowns at 14. He had his second highest yards per season ever last year at 1,516, which was uh, like around 30 yards shy of the year before, which was 1,553. So that was great. His yards per reception was a career high at 15.2. He eclipsed 100 receptions. Again, last year, he started 17 games. Uh, yards per game was 90. His catch percentage was 55. Again, was great. Yards per target was 8. So, again, he was phenomenal last year. Deserving of the first team. All pro. 
But then he said something else that opened my eye, and he said that right now he doesn't see eye-to-eye with the Raiders, uh, but they're working on that, working on a couple things. So, again, I thought that was, uh, you know, very surprising to me that he would say that, and I kind of agree with him, considering he went there for Derek Carr, uh, but I think he does enjoy playing for the Raiders. So it is interesting uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo coming in uh, and not a ton of other free agents shipping out Darren Waller. Very interesting offseason. You know, I'm interested to see where they're at next year uh, to see if there is any progression from what um, has been last year where, you know, they were a bad team, inconsistent, and hopefully – uh, with Jimmy G, who I believe is a proven winner, I believe he is better than Derek Carr. Yeah, maybe they'll win some games uh, together. Now I want to move on to the NBA. And that specifically is Doc uh, Rivers, uh, who was fired this morning. And again, what I thought was a very, very expecting move that, you know, he would get fired because he's lost a lot of elimination games. He's blown a lot of series lead, series leads. Uh, And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, uh, in respect to Doc Rivers, is I think Doc Rivers is one of the greatest regular season coaches of all time and one of the greatest culture setters. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, his regular season record, it's – let me see if I still have it up. I I don't think I have it up. I think that uh, went away. But over his past uh, three seasons, he's 154 and 82. Um, he is third or fourth in most consecutive winning seasons as an NBA coach in NBA history. Uh, he has 16 consecutive Winning seasons, which dates back to uh, 2007. Uh, So he has not had a losing season uh, since then. Again, he's been phenomenal in the regular season. Again, the teams that he's coached, the cultures that he sets, whether it's in uh, the Celtics, uh, managing the KG and the Paul Pierce, or going to the uh, Clippers and establishing Lob City with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and CP3. Uh, or navigating after that with Kawhi and Paul George, and then recently with uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and then it was Joel Embiid and James Harden. He definitely navigates a lot, so I give him credit for that. Again, I think he's one of the best regular season coaches of all time. But you don't get, you get you don't get fired for being one of the best regular season coaches of all time. Uh, you get fired for your how you play in the postseason, or Doc's case, the lack thereof. And then said his playoff woes continue to haunt him at every turn. He's the only coach to blow three 3-1 leads, all with different teams, uh, dating back to when he was with the Magic uh, versus the Pistons in 03. Up 3-1, blew that lead. 0-9 with the Celtics, up 3-2. Have a game at home to win the series, blow the lead, 
Same in 2010 versus the Lakers in the finals to win uh, back-to-back, you know, loses the lead. Uh, 2012 versus the Heat, like to LeBron, blew that lead. 2015 versus the Rockets, uh, when he was then on the Clippers, blew that lead. Then he moves on, or then he's still with the Clippers, 2020 versus the Nuggets. Another 3-1 lead blown, and then more recently with the 76ers, up 3-2 against the Celtics, and he blows another 3-2 lead. So that's seven times in his career where he's blown a 3-1 or 3-2 series lead again to clinch that series, and he just doesn't uh, get it done. So it's unfortunate, but that's the reason why they fired him, so I totally get it from a uh, or a 76ers perspective why they fired him. It just makes sense. Uh you know, why they did that, because they want to win. The goal was to um, advance past the Eastern Conference semi, something they haven't done since Allen Iverson. They hope Doc Rivers, you know, could be the guy to do it. Uh, but, nope, that, you know, was not the case. Uh, he did it. Um, and he's gone and was... 76ers are still 20 years past going back to the semis. So that's going to be of a pressure on their next coaches. He's going to have to get to the Western Conference semifinals. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure on whoever becomes the 76ers head coach. Uh, much like I said uh, yesterday with Monty Williams and the Suns, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on whoever goes to the Suns uh, to win a championship, get to the finals, uh, and probably win it because Monty got there. But it was really the two blowout losses. So that's interesting uh, right there. So, again, another really pressure, big pressure spot for a head coach if you were to end up taking uh, that job. But really this offseason, we've seen a lot of coaches move around or leave. Nick Nurse from Toronto, who I think was an excellent coach, uh, left uh, Toronto, or uses a mutual passing of ways. Mike Budenholzer was fired from a Bucks. Uh, Monty Williams fired from a Suns, and now lately, Doc Rivers fired by the 76ers. Now, I don't believe all these guys are just going to switch teams and they all end up somewhere else. I believe Nick Nurse will be the likely odd man out. I believe he might want to spend some, take a year off from the game after spending the past 10 years in Toronto, which I understand. I believe Mike Budenholzer might be the favorite for the Bucks, and it looks like, Mon- or for the Suns, and Monty Williams is the favorite for the Bucks, which would be ironic, uh, considering those two coached against each other in the finals, and if they were to swap teams, I think it'd be humorous. Uh, but I also don't think Doc Rivers will be left without a job as well. I think he's viewed within the NBA community as a great coach, a great person, a person you want uh, to kind of build the culture of your team, uh, to get your team, you know, in a winning way, even if it's not winning the finals, just on a pattern for winning. And I think his experience as well is tremendous. So I wouldn't say that he'd go without a job either. But something came out of the Doc Rivers firing as well that, 
you know, I didn't sit right with me. I didn't like. And it was James Harden saying if Doc Rivers stayed, he probably wouldn't go uh, or he wouldn't stay, which, again, to me is a joke because, you know, Doc Rivers let this man after, I believe after it was a sweep against the Nets and they had like a week off. Uh, Doc Rivers let him go to Vegas and Doc said, you know, they let Rodman go to Vegas, you know, and see what happened after that. So Doc Rivers tries to accommodate the players, uh, lets them do what they want, and, you know, you repay that man by, you know, trying to blackmail him and get him fired. So I don't like that from James Harden. And then it was reported that he's interested in joining the Suns. Now to that, if I were the Suns owner GM, I'd say a big no. You don't want this guy. Uh, to me, he's turning, you know, Russell uh, Westbrook to where I don't think you can win with him. He, he shrinks in big moments. He constantly shrinks in playoff games. James Harden is not the person you want on a championship contending team. Now, I believe him and KD had a good relationship together. But if I'm the Suns, I'm not interested in it. Because if you do that, obviously you get rid of, presumably, Chris Paul. Uh, but that's just another person eating money. And again, you'd be top-heavy, no depth. So that's not a move I'm interested in. For the Suns, to me, that doesn't take me a step further. Right? That move doesn't take me to the final. That's to me a more lateral move. The team looks a bit different. It's basically all ISO been. And I believe they still lose before they get to the finals if they were to get James Harden. So I'm a big no for that. Uh, if I'm the Suns, I don't get James Harden at all. But if I'm the Suns, what do I do? I need to make a move. So I came up with two trades, two trade options for the Suns. I thought both were pretty clever. Uh, and I didn't include Chris Paul in either of these trades because I do believe uh, KD and Chris Paul and Devin Book do like each other. I don't think there's a disconnect between those two players. I believe Chris Paul likes being with the Suns and has one more year left on his deal. I think he'd just like to finish that contract out as he'll be 39 uh, when that contract begins. And then after that, he'll be 40. So I really think this is the last year that he's going to play. So I believe he just sticks it out with the Suns and really their main piece is DeAndre Aiden to trade. So if that's the case, uh, there's two trades, two options for Suns hand. I'll give them. I, usually I don't help out the enemy, but I thought, uh, feeling generous today. Why does not give them a couple options for a trade? Now the first trade for the Suns, they trade, you know, DeAndre Aiden, Josh Okogi, and Landry Shamit, and, you know, some pick, pick swaps as well, one or two. Uh, to the Hawks for John Collins, Clint Capella, and Martin as well. Just a, a bench uh, player who really didn't get any time without just for the salaries to match. Now, uh, I believe this helps the Suns out uh, immensely. Uh, when I did the trade machine, it was plus five wins for them, minus four for Atlanta. But to me... Uh, it's a good move for both teams. The Phoenix Suns get out of DeAndre Aiden, uh, which they want to do. And then the Hawks get out of, I bet, John Collins' contract. 
which you're locked into. Now, to me, uh, for the Hawks, you know, Aiden is an upgrade over Clint Capella in that system as well. Um, so I think, you know, that would be good, not a stretch, but he is, you know, have a, his footwork, his technique is better than Capella, where uh, for the Suns, Capella, you know, will get those rebounds, he'll try. Uh, doesn't look as lazy at times as DeAndre Aiden. But then they get Collins uh, to stretch the floor from three as well. And I think this works for the Suns because they can go a traditional lineup uh, with Chris Paul, uh, with Devin Booker at his shooting guard, Kevin Durant in, I think, his primary role at small forward, John Collins power forward, and Clint Capella at the five. I think that's a very, very good starting five. That's a big upgrade. And then if they were to go small, they can put John Collins at center at points during the game, move Kevin Durant to power forward, and switch around with more shooters. Uh, so I think that's a good lineup uh, for them to address. Again, the Hawks get DeAndre Eden. They get Landry Shamit, so they do get a shooter. And they get Josh Okoge, uh, Koji, who I didn't think was terrible with the Suns. Uh, play good defense. Uh, when open, he can hit some shots as well. Uh, but again, getting out from uh, John Collins, really shedding two bad contracts there, uh, I think helps. I think Landry Shaman is a reasonable contract for them to take on. Same with Aiden. Uh, as they continue to retool this roster around uh, Trey Young, even if they trade Trey Young. So I think that's a very interesting one for the Suns to consider uh, moving forward as those, and of course, the Hawks will get a couple pick swaps uh, out of that as well uh, for the future, which I think will be beneficial to them. Then the second option I came up with uh, was a trade between the Suns and Blazers, not as big for both teams, but the Trailblazers get DeAndre Aiden and the Suns send, and the Suns get Yusuf Nurkic, Shaden Sharp, and Nasir uh, Little. So again, I think this is good because Again, they get out from DeAndre Aiden. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic tries a little more, especially for offensive rebounds, can get those. He's very good at that. Again, his contract is half that of Aiden's, so that works out uh, for me. I like that. It gives me more flexibility to add others um, through uh, free agency, which I like. I get shade and sharp as well. Rookie this past year averaged 10 points. Um, I think was very good. I don't think he's going to be a star or elite like a Scotty Barnes was or anything like that. But I believe he'll be a very solid player. And then this year, Little, again, I thought match just for salaries. There's one year left on his deal. Again, you could cut him loose and, again, have more room to play in free agency. So, again, I think that's another good trade for the Suns to do. Um Again, it probably wouldn't set them as much up for immediate success as that a Hawks one would, uh, but having that extra money, I think, would definitely help them this season later down the line uh, to add some pieces. So I think that's another a good trade for them. So those are my two options for the Suns. I'll also help out those 76ers fans as well right now. Give them a couple of trade options here. Take your pick. So the first option which is the blockbuster option, which I think 76ers fans want. That is trading uh, Tobias Harris, 
Tyrese Maxey, and five first-round picks for Damian Lillard from the Trailblazers. Now, salaries match, and I think this is good because uh, I think this offseason will be the closest Damian Lillard goes to, re- uh, to requesting a trade. I believe they'd accommodate him, too. Uh, now, this would be big because now uh, you get that lethal combo of Damian Lillard and uh, Joel Embiid. But I think this really benefits him come postseason time, where Joel Embiid has a tendency to shrink. Damian Lillard is that closer, that assassin who can hit big shots, can hit clutch game-winning buckets there in playoff teams. He can carry, elevate a team. Uh, we're at where Joel Embiid can have that regular season success, but Damian Lillard will be that postseason player, so that helps him out. In turn, the Trailblazers get a great haul, five first-round picks. Uh, they get that Tobias Harris contract, which is an albatross, but they live with that. And then they get Tyrese Maxey, who I think is a very, very, very good player and can turn into a star. Uh, so the Trailblazers really get set up for the future there because they have their point guard in Maxey and can draft. And it can address those uh, picks with other players. And then if you have a Sixers, you're hoping none of those are lottery as you cash in on your time with Dame and Joel. And option two is a little less sexy, but is one I actually love a lot. Uh, even though my analysis for it gets dinged a bit. It's kind of a blockbuster as well. Uh, the Sixers trade Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, D'Anthony Melton, and a first-round pick to the Bulls for DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, and Lonzo Ball. Now, I think this is, I think, a very fair trade uh, for them because, uh, you know, Tobias Harris is a good player, but he's not on the level uh, DeRozan is. Uh, So him, you know, with Melton, the player efficiency – I think works good, uh, you know, for that package there. Uh, Caruso for uh, P.J. Tucker, you lose the defense in P.J. Tucker, but you get that same defense and tenacity with a Caruso as well. You get Lonzo Ball and there, and that's kind of why I traded the first-round pick because the question is Lonzo Ball. Is he going to return to his all-star starter self where he was very good, where he's progressing as a shooter and great defensively? Or is he not going to play again? Who knows with his knee? But that's why you throw a first-round pick in there because you're taking the gamble that Alonzo Ball will rehab and play for you. And then I think you have a great uh, rotation with depth as well. It's not just, you know, sending the future away for Damian Lillard. It's, hey, I got Joel Embiid, uh, DeRozan, Alonzo Ball, uh, Maxi still, uh, Caruso. So, again, I think... That adds depth to him, and I think that's the biggest thing uh, with my trades I did for the Suns and this latest one for the Sixers. It's avoid going for the stars, the you know the three stars. I think that era is over, especially with the new CBA. Is if if you're top heavy with two or three stars, uh, the rest of your roster isn't going to look good, and your team's going to suffer. And so having that. Right there, having those extra players uh, does play dividends. You look at teams um, like the Lakers, role players step up, the Ruiz, the Dennis Schroeders, the Vanderbilt. Um, same with the Heat, the Struces, the Vincents, the 
uh, Duncan Robinson, you know, the Celtics, the Brogdons, uh, Smart, all those guys, and the Nuggets, the, you know, Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. So those were my trades. Those were my two sides and my two 76ers trades. Now time to get into the Lakers Nuggets. So I felt really good about this. So, again, uh, depending on if you got that episode, I did pick the Nuggets to make the NBA Finals. Not a lot of people did in the media sports world. I'm not saying not everyone did. I was the only one. But very few people said gave any attention to Nuggets uh, when they did their predictions. A lot of people talked about the Suns. Most people talked about the Suns. The Warriors, the Lakers, those were the three common teams. Not a lot of love to the Nuggets. And I just thought, I think the Nuggets are a lot better than what people give them credit for. And Jokic as well. And that turned out to be right. Jokic, to me, has looked like the best player of NBA. Which, again, I did that last week. That turned out to be right, especially before he won that series. So it does feel good to say I was right about the Nuggets and Jokic. With that being said, I believe the Lakers win game one tonight. I believe with that extra rest, LeBron has played in Denver a lot before. He knows about the altitude. He'll get the troops ready. It'll be a close game, and I think LeBron will mirror some of that game six performance against the Warriors. Picks his spots, picks his times, and wins the game. Again, the biggest matchup is AD and Jokic. To me, this is going to be what decides the series. And usually it's, you know, is it going to be, you know, just one matchup? I believe it can really come down to this one matchup because they both don't use the backup center. So when they're both out, it's going to be a small lineup, so they mirror. Uh, the Lakers were 26 in three-point shooting this season. Uh, Nuggets were 25th, so it's not like they're going to blow you out of the gym with their three-point shooting. But I believe, um, you know, the Lakers can match them, and again, the AD Jokic thing. It's if AD is locked in and is the best player defensively and can frustrate Jokic, that'll be big. And then on the offensive end, uh, I think AD is too powerful for Jokic, um, too athletic. So if he can get Jokic into foul trouble, that'll be big. That's how the Lakers won this game. But if AD is lackadaisical on defense and is not initiating offense, then the Nuggets are winning this series. So with that being the wild card, knowing what I'm going to get out of Jokic, I don't have to stress, is he going to get, you know, 15 points, or is he going to get 25 points this game or be engaged? I know he is, and I believe the Jamal Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll is better than anything the Warriors or the Grizzlies have ran or have seen before. I believe it'll be a game of adjustments. I believe uh, the Nuggets made good adjustments last series. I still believe the Nuggets win in seven. I believe it goes to seven games maybe as the series goes on. And if it does hit a Game 7, my Game 7 prediction will be different. Uh, but these are two, again, very different teams in that bubble matchup. Uh, everybody's talking about bubble rematches. But from the Lakers, only two people that are still there, AD and LeBron. Everybody from that championship roster is gone. Nuggets from that matchup, only people remain are Murray Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr. The rest are new. Aaron Gordon's new. Uh, KCP was a member of the Lakers. Now he's a member of the Nuggets. So these two teams are very different, but I think this is going to be a very good, wildly entertaining Western Conference Finals.
And then in the East, you have the Heat for Celtics. And last year, if you remember, Jimmy Butler had just another great Jimmy Butler playoff performance in Game 1 and won the game for the Heat. I believe this is going to be different this year. I believe the Celtics set the tone in Game 1. Uh, I think that'll awaken the Heat and Jimmy. Jimmy hasn't really played right. He rolled his ankle. I expect this to be a dogfight, but I think the Celtics win in 6 or 7. If Jimmy Butler's ankle was healthy and right, I believe this would probably go to seven games, might give the edge to the Heat in a revenge. But Jimmy offensively hasn't looked the same since that ankle injury to me. Not a lot of people have been paying attention to that, uh, but I believe the Celtics win this series in six or seven. And lastly, PGA Championship. So this, to me, is fascinating considering it's another golf major. Uh, more live players there is like 18 of them. It's going to be very competitive. So you have some storylines here. You have Rom. Can he win another one? He's just been absolutely phenomenal this year. Can Jordan Spieth complete the Grand Slam? Will Justin Thomas defend his title? You look at the featured pairings, those are great as well. Uh, Rom and Matt Fitzpatrick are playing with live player Cameron Smith. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick doesn't really like live players. That'll be... I think good theater. Scotty Shuffler's playing with Brooks Kepka as well. Ricky Fowler uh, with um, Phil Mickelson. So I think the feature group's masters kind of steered away from those perspectives and just said, you know, we don't want any drama the first two days. PGA said, we'll put it all there these days. I think it'll be great. Rory McIlroy uh, made a couple of interesting comments. He's kind of deflected away from Liv. Uh, in terms for his mental health, and I think that's good because he kind of wants to back down from the face of a PGA Tour, but also mentioned that, you know, he'd be fine in his career if he never won another tournament. I don't know if he's edging closer to retirement or if, you know, he is just okay with his career and he just doesn't want any more pressure on him, uh, but I thought those comments were interesting and It'll be interesting now to see his play. Does he come out with any fire or anything to win, considering he's a, uh, a you know member of this golf club by Oak Hill, uh, has played a lot. Again, we'll see on Thursday, but I'm expecting another great major, hopefully like the Masters, um, and a great showdown on Sunday. That's all I can hope for. But this has been Unbothered. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.